amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home okay. It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up? You lose your license? You lose your job? You total your car? You kill someone? Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So, if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. Okay, so presents. Check. Decorations. Uh, check. Christmas clothes. Yep, check. The turkey. You forgot the turkey. Dunn Stores has extended opening hours over the Christmas season, so you'll have plenty of time to get all those little jobs done. Opening times may vary. Check your Dunstores app or dunstores.com for more info. Dunstores make Christmas for everyone. Curtis Flowers was tried six times over the course of 13 years for a quadruple murder that happened at the Tardy Furniture in Winona, Mississippi on July 16, 1996. After all six trials ended in either a successful appeal or a hung jury, all charges were eventually dropped by the state. But the question still remains, who committed the murder? This is Monsters Mysteries. In this story, I'm going to talk about the trials of Curtis Flowers. I'm going to include as much detail as I can. But if you want to take a really deep dive into this case, I suggest you listen to the second season of the podcast, In the Dark. They dig into every aspect of this case and do not leave a single stone unturned. Tardy Furniture was opened during World War II by Tom Tardy in the small downtown area of Winona, Mississippi. Bertha was the in-store decorator and in 1985, Tom sold her the store. In 1994, the two got married. Sam Jones had worked for Tardy Furniture for 50 years before retiring. He had been asked by Bertha to come in and help train some new employees on the morning of July 16, 1996, and that's what he showed up at the store that morning to do. 
However, when he arrived, he didn't see anyone on the sales floor. As he walked further into the store, he heard the sound of heavy breathing. He would later testify, quote, I walked on a little further, and I heard it again. I looked down, and I saw what it was, end quote. What he saw was 16-year-old Derek Bobo Stewart, a new employee, laying on the ground in a pool of blood. 42-year-old Robert Golden was leaning against the counter next to Bobo, and 45-year-old Carmen Rigby was face down in front of a plaid sofa, her car keys still in her hand. When Sam turned toward the back of the store, he could see Bertha's legs on the floor, sticking out from behind a cream sofa. Bertha Tardy had gone to interior design school in New York before becoming the lead designer at Tom Tardy's furniture store. She would decorate the store and give design tips to the customers. Not only did she become the owner of the store, she also served as president of the Montgomery County Economic Council and Winona's Downtown Merchants Association. Robert Golden had graduated from Mississippi Valley State University and was training to be a delivery person for the furniture store. He was married and had one son with diabetes and another son with developmental disabilities. Carmen Rigby had worked at Tardy Furniture for more than 20 years. She sold furniture and did some accounting for the store. She was married and had two sons, one who had just graduated college and another who was just about to enter college. Derek Bobo Stewart got his nicknames from his friends jokingly calling him Bo Derek. He was an athlete and regularly played pool. He was training to load furniture at the store and was eager to begin working and making a living. Sam raced to a different store up the street and told the woman working there to call 911. Winona Police Chief Johnny Hargrove was only a few blocks away when he received the call and got to the tardy furniture before Sam could even make it back from the other shop. After he walked into the store and found Bobo on the ground gurgling, he drew his weapon and backed out of the store. He radioed for backup, an ambulance, a coroner, and the district attorney. When paramedics arrived, Bobo was loaded into the ambulance and rushed to the hospital where he would eventually succumb to his wounds. After the scene was cleared, the store was taped off, but it was reported that a lot of people came and went from the scene. More people were in the crime scene than needed to be, like the mayor and the town's animal control officer. Crime scene investigators traveled to Winona from Jackson, 90 miles or about 145 kilometers away. They recovered two bullets, two bullet fragments, and one live round, as well as five three eighty caliber shell casings. Bobo's hat was found, and a number of faint footprints in blood were discovered. There was no money in the cash register besides coins, and according to store records, about $400 was missing from the till. The safe had been closed but not locked, and when the interior was investigated, it looked as though the safe's contents were neat and in order and didn't appear to have been gone through. Bertha's purse was sitting on her chair in her office, undisturbed. Sam's shoes were checked to see if they matched the shoe prints found, and they didn't. Fingerprints and DNA wouldn't come back with any matches, so the investigators had nothing to go on. Each victim had been shot in the head, and even though the crime was committed in broad daylight, nobody had seen or heard anything. Authorities didn't have a single suspect. They announced that they had interviewed and released four people, and had nothing else to go on. 
until people started reporting that they saw a man named Curtis Flowers walking around that day, and nothing else. They didn't claim he had done anything illegal. They didn't even claim he had done anything suspicious. They just said they saw him walking. Some of the witnesses claimed to have seen Curtis walking on the other side of town from Tardy Furniture. Curtis Flowers was one of six children raised in Winona, Mississippi by his parents, Archie and Lola. Archie had been singing in gospel groups for decades and had passed that love on to his son. By his 20s, friends said that gospel music was just about the only thing Curtis talked about. This video is the only known recording of Curtis singing. In order to make the sightings work, the district attorney, Doug Evans, came up with a map that showed Curtis's route that day. It had Curtis walking across town in the opposite direction from Tardy to a building that was the home of Angelica Sewing Factory, a clothing manufacturer. It was here that the prosecutor claimed that Curtis stole a gun out of an old brown car. Then he walked back to his house waited there for a while before walking back the way he came and went to Tardy Furniture, where he shot four people to death for a few hundred dollars. As it would later be discovered, none of the so-called witnesses actually reported anything to the police. Each witness was sought out and told exactly what they saw. All they had to do was say yes. Roy Harris had testified in the first trial that he had been driving his car with a woman named Clemmie Fleming in the passenger seat. Shortly after the murders, Clemmie saw a man running away from the direction of the furniture store, and she said, quote, Hey, that's Curtis Flowers, end quote. When the second trial came around, Roy withdrew his statement and claimed that Clemmie wasn't even with him. The prosecution recorded a video of Clemmie still maintaining her story. Uh, basically, what we want to know this morning, Clemmie, the day that you came in and made this statement, did I lead you to say anything? No. Uh, was your statement free and voluntary? Yes. Did I offer you money or any reward or any no. gratitude at all if you would make the statement? No. And also, uh, you know, I didn't guide you as to the facts of what you saw that morning? No. All right, uh, Clemmie, from that point on of when you first saw him, what was his actions? What was he doing? He was running. Okay. Uh, in which direction? He was running, like, toward our county street. Okay, in other words, we've been away from um, parts. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what caught your attention uh, about it to begin with? Because I ain't never seen him running. I always see him riding in the truck or, you know, riding in the car or something. I never seen him running. Okay. Clemmie, normally you knew Curtis Flowers to see him on a regular basis, yeah. and normally you would not be afraid of him, would you? I mean, no. 
you wouldn't normally be afraid of giving him a ride, would you? No. On this particular morning, uh, why did you tell Roy to drive home? Don't stop and get him. Just something wrong for him to be walking, I mean, running like he was, you know, because he ain't never been out of vehicle. I always seen him anymore. I think in your statement or testimony, you indicated he was running like somebody was acting. Mm-hmm. Something, something wrong, he was running like it. But even her story eventually falls apart. When being interviewed for the In the Dark podcast, she admits that she really didn't remember which day she saw Curtis. She said that she had tried to tell authorities that, but they didn't care. The brown car that Curtis allegedly stole the gun from was actually his step-uncle's 1980 Pontiac Phoenix. Doyle Simpson worked as a janitor at the sewing factory, and when he left to do a lunch run at about 10.45 on the morning of July 16th, he noticed that his glove box, which was normally locked, was open and his gun was missing. While at the local chicken joint picking up lunch, Doyle told several people about his missing gun, and the news quickly made it back to detectives. According to authorities, Doyle's gun was never recovered, but investigators recovered some bullets that had been fired from the gun from a wooden post on the property of Curtis's mother and claimed that the bullets matched. One other detail that solidified Curtis's guilt in the eyes of the investigators was that he had worked at Tardy Furniture and was recently fired. Police had everything they needed to arrest Curtis Flowers and charge him with four counts of murder. He was held in jail without bail. The evidence that Prosecutor Doug Evans presented against Curtis was the unusual walking route that Curtis had supposedly taken, the bullets that matched his uncle's stolen gun, the fact that they found $235 hidden in his headboard, the fact that they had found an empty shoebox from the same brand of shoes as the shoe print in the closet of his girlfriend's house, and that they had found gunshot residue on his hand. Curtis maintained his innocence, and his defense pointed out the inconsistencies with the evidence. First, the walking route was just ridiculous, and the witnesses were not reliable. The method of matching the bullets was questionable, and even if they did match, there was no evidence that Curtis ever had possession of the gun. He had $235 hidden in his headboard, so he was saving money. You can't arrest anyone who has some cash on them for robbery. The shoe print was from a size 10.5 Grant Hill Fila, a very popular shoe in the area at the time, but an expert for the defense testified that the shoe could have been anywhere between a size 8.5 to a size 11. Curtis said that he didn't own a pair of those shoes, and there was no evidence that he ever had. They had found a single grain of gunshot residue on his hand. Normally, when you fire a gun, you get a lot of gunshot residue on your hands. A single grain of gunshot residue could have been transferred to his hand by someone else who regularly fires a gun, like, say, a police officer, or, like Curtis said, from handling fireworks the previous day. Curtis was found guilty by an all-white jury during his first trial and sentenced to death, but the Mississippi Supreme Court overturned the conviction due to prosecutorial misconduct. At his second trial, they brought in a witness— Odell Cookie Hallman, who testified that Curtis Flowers had confessed to the murders while they were sharing a cell. This jailhouse informant not only went on to later admit that he lied, he had also received a special deal from Doug Evans to avoid punishment for multiple felonies. While he was free, in 2016, he murdered three people and was sentenced to life in prison. 
I wonder if those three people would still be alive if Doug Evans hadn't cut a deal with Cookie. We'll never know. Videos of the prosecutor questioning Cookie shows him telling one story in the morning of May 7, 2001, and then another video with him telling a more detailed story that same afternoon. Me and Curtis started talking, and uh, Curtis asked me, could I do, help him get out? So I said, what you want me to do? You know, so many words. And he told me we got to come up with a lie on my sister in order for her testimony to be thrown out. So me and him, I asked him what was in it for me. And he told me, he said, man, I can get you some money. And while you're here, I can take care of you while you're here locked up. And I can get you some money when you get out. And uh, just to tell them folk what he wanted me to tell them. So I, we sat there and we, he made up a good line. And I just told him. Did Curtis Flowers describe any particular details of the crime that he committed against these four people at Tari's? Well, he, 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 in so many words, he, you know, he, we talked, like I said, we wrote letters and stuff, some things that you, you know, we talked so much, you know, some things you can remember and some you forget. But now, I said, did you really kill him? He didn't announce me that day. He didn't write me back that day. He waited about three days. Then he wrote me back. He said, homie, a man got to be a fool to tell him this stuff. He said, that's the only thing I'm going to tell you. And with and so many words, he did tell me kill them folk. He just didn't come straight out and tell me cook I kill them folk. He told me, he said, homie, he said, a man got to be a fool to tell what they do. At Curtis's second trial, he was also found guilty by a jury of 11 white and one black persons and sentenced to death. But the Mississippi Supreme Court overturned the conviction due to prosecutorial misconduct again. At his third trial, he was again found guilty by a jury of 11 white and one black persons and sentenced to death. But the Mississippi Supreme Court overturned the conviction, this time due to the prosecution's racial discrimination during jury selection. Curtis's fourth trial had seven white and five black jurors and ended in a mistrial. The fifth had nine white and three black jurors and also ended in a mistrial. I hope you guys are finding this as ridiculous as I am. At his sixth and final trial, he was found guilty by a jury of 11 white and one black persons again and sentenced to death. But, you guessed it, the Mississippi Supreme Court overturned the conviction due to the prosecution's racial discrimination during jury selection. And somehow, District Attorney Doug Evans was still allowed to be a prosecutor and still held Curtis in jail contemplating whether or not he was going to go for a seventh trial. This is a person who should not be allowed to be a prosecutor. He has such bad tunnel vision that not only is he continually wasting the court's time trying to convict an innocent man of murder, the real killers are free with no chance of being caught because no one's looking for them. For every wrongful conviction, you create a wrongful acquittal. 
One thing that a lot of people don't know is that in 2001, a man named Jeffrey Armstrong found a 380 automatic pistol in the crawl space of his mother's home. The reason that a lot of people don't know about it is because Jeffrey said he turned it over to police, who handed it over to the district attorney's office, and it's never been seen since. Authorities claimed that it had been sent to the state crime lab for testing, but the lab said they never received the gun. One of the most important details of the gun is the fact that it was found in the opposite direction from the path that the prosecutor claims that Curtis took after the murders. Jeffrey said that someone could easily get to his mother's house without being seen by ducking into a ditch and using storm tunnels to go to the other side of the train tracks. This path leads east to an area behind his mother's house, where the crawlspace hatch is easily accessed. According to Doug Evans and his witnesses, that word was in air quotes, Curtis ran west, heading back home. On December 16, 2019, Judge Loper granted Curtis bail. He had to wear an ankle monitor and remain at his home, but for the first time in 21 years, Curtis Flowers was out of prison. Judge Loper noted in his decision that several of the prosecution's key witnesses had recanted. In addition, new potential evidence had been uncovered, as well as alternative suspects, seemingly leaving the prosecution with a weaker case than in previous trials. Curtis's lawyer, Rob McDuff, released a statement after the bail ruling, saying, quote, Given the evidence of his innocence that continues to surface as time goes by, as well as his excellent prison conduct, and the fact that he has no criminal record, bail was required by law under the unusual circumstances of this case. Looking forward to Christmas. Did you think this day, what were your thoughts? Did you think this day, I knew it would, but I didn't know when. Yeah, but I always knew it would. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm so, I'm so excited right now. <laughs> Thanks, Trick. But uh, I look forward to uh, spending time with them. And, uh, I just can't. I can't. Thank you all very much. <laughs> Thank you all. Thank you all. Judge Loper also reprimanded Doug Evans, saying it was a, quote, troubling fact that the state of Mississippi had taken no action to further the case, ignoring a court order for the prosecutor to file written responses, end quote. Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh said Doug Evans showed a relentless and determined effort to rid the jury of black members and try flowers, quote, ideally before an all-white jury, end quote. On January 7, 2020, District Attorney Doug Evans recused himself as the prosecutor on the case and turned it over to the Mississippi Attorney General's office. On September 4, the state dropped all charges against Curtis Flowers with prejudice, which means that he can never be charged with the murders again. After 22 years, Curtis Flowers was officially free. The state of Mississippi paid Curtis Flowers a settlement of $500,000 for wrongful imprisonment, which was the maximum award under Mississippi law. He will receive $50,000 a year for 10 years. So, now that Curtis Flowers has been officially eliminated as a suspect, who committed the murders at Tardy Furniture on July 16, 1996? First, we should look at Willie James Hemphill. Why? Simple. He was originally the investigator's prime suspect. Willie was a Winona resident with a long history of run-ins with the law. When arrested and brought in for questioning, he was wearing a pair of Grant Hill Fila shoes. 
He claims he was interrogated for hours and held in jail for 11 days before being released. There's no documentation that explains his release, but according to Willie, it was because of his airtight alibi. He claimed to be at a mall in Memphis at the time of the Tardy Furniture murders with a woman named Tawanda Woods. The only problem, Tawanda didn't back up that claim. She said that she was at the Piggly Wiggly in Winona on July 16, 1996. She knows it was that day because she remembers coming out of the store when a woman told her that Mrs. Tardy had gotten killed. Willie's girlfriend at the time also recalled Willie being home when she left to go to work at 7 a.m. on the morning of July 16th. Years later, after being confronted with the holes in his alibi, Willie changed his story and said he was also at the Piggly Wiggly with Tawanda, just a few blocks away from Tardy Furniture. The biggest problem to arise from this theory is that the prosecution hid the fact that they had a suspect other than Curtis from the defense. The prosecutors are legally required to hand over all of their investigative findings to the defense and withholding information that could affect the outcome of the case is what's called a Brady violation. Under the Supreme Court's 1963 case, Brady v. Maryland, the prosecution has an ironclad duty to disclose, before trial, evidence that could undercut its case. The jury, knowing that police had another suspect, could have greatly impacted their decision. There's also the theory that Doyle Simpson committed the murders. It was his gun, after all. Maybe he committed the crime with his own gun and then reported it missing. The woman who claimed to have seen a man steal the gun from Doyle's car was Catherine Snow, Doyle's girlfriend. Maybe she made that up to mislead authorities. It's possible. It's reported that she originally claimed that the person she saw was five foot six, shorter than Curtis, but police corrected her to say they were five foot ten. In Curtis's third trial, Catherine testified that the person she saw was between five foot three and five foot five. It's possible that Doyle committed the murders, but should have been at work at the time of the shootings and didn't have a motive. More recent investigations have pointed to a group called the Birmingham Boys, a group of young men who murdered two people during an armed robbery near Birmingham, Alabama. The victims in the Tardy Furniture case were all shot in the back of the head, execution style, all with one bullet, except for Carmen Rigby, who was shot twice. There was also a live round on the floor of the furniture store, indicating that the gun had jammed and needed to be cleared. That crime was committed July 16, 1996. On July 25, 1996, in Westover, Alabama, just three hours east of Winona, Mississippi, the 280 pawn shop was robbed at gunpoint and two people, owner John Burleson and Janice Littleton, were shot in the back of the head, execution style, with a 380 automatic pistol. Surveillance cameras caught the crime and it showed the gun jam repeatedly and needed to be cleared. The suspects went on the run, but the getaway driver, Stephen McKenzie, was arrested a week later in his hometown of Boston, Massachusetts. 16-year-old Marcus Presley and 18-year-old LaSamuel Gamble were arrested in Norfolk, Virginia another week later. Both Stephen and LeSamuel wore Grant Hill Fila shoes, though I couldn't find their sizes anywhere. Marcus was found guilty of the murders and sentenced to death, though his death sentence was eventually commuted to a life sentence because most states have a law against sentencing juveniles to the death penalty. 
In 2015, Marcus signed an affidavit claiming that Stephen and LaSamuel were in Winona at the time of the murders and they returned with several hundred dollars in cash. Marcus also claimed that LaSamuel had been the shooter at the pawn shop murder until he was shown video that confirmed he was in fact the one who pulled the trigger. It's believed that Marcus was also with Stephen and LaSamuel in Winona that day. At the end of June of 1996, Marcus and LaSamuel committed four armed robberies together, and Marcus committed one on his own. Marcus shot two people in the course of these robberies, but both victims survived. After committing each crime, the group had a pattern of returning to Boston to lay low. They did it after their June crime spree, they did it after the pawn shop murders, and they also made the trip in the time immediately following the Tardy Furniture murders. Coincidence? Unfortunately, by the time the Birmingham boys were arrested, Doug Evans wasn't interested in alternative suspects. As far as he was concerned, he had his man, and he was going to dig in his heels and try to execute that man in an unprecedented six trials. Personally, I think that Marcus Presley is at the top of the list of who actually murdered all four victims at the Tardy Furniture. It's more than likely he was with LaSamuel Gamble and possibly Stephen McKenzie. I believe that they fled out the side door where they headed straight to the storm drains to the other side of the tracks where they disposed of the gun in the crawl space of Jeffrey Armstrong's mother. Then they fled to Boston. Let me know what you think in the comments. Lola Flowers visited Curtis in prison regularly for more than 20 years, but on July 14, 2018, she died of complications from surgery. Curtis was not allowed to attend her funeral. On March 21, 2021, Curtis married Marlena Wright in Granada, Mississippi, about 30 minutes north of Winona. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility, call 911, or call Mental Health America, who operate the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Be safe. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. You can help us out by leaving us a review or rating on whatever podcast app you listen through. You can also subscribe to the show to ensure that you don't miss an episode. Also, remember that if you'd like to support the show, the easiest way is to donate a few bucks at Buy Me a Coffee or check out some of our merchandise at Teespring. You can find information on how to do that along with links to our social media at thisismonsters.com. Thanks again. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home, okay? It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up? You lose your license? You lose your job? You total your car? You kill someone? Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So, if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. No. Good boy. Keep your hat on, pet. Why? 
We're playing dinner at the North Pole, remember? So we need to wear our big warm coats inside. When it comes to food or heat, many families will face impossible choices this Christmas. Please support the St. Vincent de Paul annual appeal. Donate locally or at svp.ie. Thank you. Christmas is the season of giving, but it can be difficult to know who on your list wants what. Save yourself the guesswork by giving the gift of choice. Whether you're buying for the foodie, fashionista or home bird of the family, they'll love a Dunstores gift card. They can choose from everything we have in store and online, from fashion to homewares to groceries. It's the perfect choice to make this Christmas. Visit dunstores.com for details. Make Christmas for everyone. Terms and conditions apply. Life's full of things we can't depend on, like the Irish weather, predictably unpredictable. When you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for lucky seven. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now Certa, Delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can depend on. See CertaIreland.ie Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.